SD, where successful San Diego leaders share their stories of leading beyond profit and are using the influence of business to positively change the companies and communities we all work and live in. I'm your host, Jeff Blanta from Jailbreak Leadership, a proven and powerful process for unlocking the full potential of the people and teams across your organization, giving you the competitive advantage in the marketplace. We want to thank our collaborative community of business organizations, the Better Business Bureau, Conscious Capitalism, Business for Good, Pause San Diego, and Be Local. We're all focused on impacting our community of San Diego and the work they do as business leaders. Welcome to the show. In our very own community of San Diego, we have businesses and business leaders that are changing the world through the work they do. Today, we have one of those leaders. Meg Frigno, welcome to Conscious Curiosity SD. Thanks so much for having me. Meg is the founder of Moonpads, who is on the mission to address period poverty and promote menstrual health and hygiene, along with Moonpads, which is a for-profit social enterprise, and she's also a recently B Corp certified organization. Meg is the founder of several nonprofits driven by her passion for creating positive social and environmental impact through innovation, collaboration, and inclusion. Meg has a PhD in sustainability education from Prescott College, a master's degree in international education development from the University of Pennsylvania, and a bachelor's degree in anthropology and education from Hampshire College. I'm exhausted. <laughs> just, <laughs> Sorry. Just reading all totally this stuff. Totally overeducated. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody had to do it. <laughs> just ask me. I got the answer. <laughs> well, I'm very excited to have you here on the show today and hear your story because you've been up to a lot of amazing things. You've got multiple things you got up and running. I want to learn all about moon pads and some of the other nonprofits, but definitely your story as a woman leader. So uh, you ready to rock and roll on this? For sure. All right. Well, first off, why don't you just share what is moon pads? So moon pads is a social benefit company that sells organic compostable pads and tampons on a buy one, give one basis. So for every single box we sell, we give one away to someone experiencing period poverty. And period poverty is when someone lacks menstrual products while they're menstruating. That holds them back from social activities, going to school, going to work, otherwise participating in daily life. So you gave me a statistic the other day when we were talking, which I found pretty shocking. Yes. So we have found that one in four Americans has at some point experienced period poverty. That's crazy. One in four menstruating Americans. Okay. <laughs> it's never been an issue for me. I'm going to have to admit. Right. <laughs> so we are talking about a subject that's a little out of my domain here for sure, right? Which I think is important because just researching you and looking at this and understanding moon pads, it's highly educational. And even from a business perspective, you just gave a couple examples of there's an impact. Right. And that is what Moonpads is trying to do, because this topic is one of the most hated topics <laughs> in our well, life. For boys, it's just kind of scary. We don't. Right. Yeah, yeah. And so we're really trying to smash the stigma. We are trying to say, hey, menstruation isn't scary. It's something we all actually come from. We're all just a missed period. And so this is something we should all be really grateful we for, be grateful. Yeah, right. <laughs> even if it's horribly painful for us or we have to call out sick because it is such a bad experience every month. This is something we want people to be talking about because people all around us are bleeding. 
<laughs> okay. Thanks, Mick. <laughs> All right. So I was reading. So moon pads, there's something to the name, which I thought was kind of interesting too. Yes. And this is something that a lot of folks don't realize because kind of, it's a little bit of a hippie thing to call it a moon cycle. But for those of us that do call it that is because our period is a cycle that is closely related with the cycles of the moon, which is related to the tides. So we're all on this monthly cycle together. And for many generations in multiple cultures across the world, there have been people that cycle with the moon together and so it's a little bit easier when people are cycling together with the moon to figure out where we're going to be <laughs> emotionally, physically. So that's why we call it moon pads. Love that. Love that. There's always so many different stories and so many different things are connected that often we just on the surface don't even think about. In fact, I was talking to uh, Matt Failing, who's the CEO here at the BBB, and we were talking about global warming. And But it kind of came back to a conversation we're having about how all of a sudden there's a certain fact or statistic that gets put out in the world and it becomes like that's the fact and it gets used for years and then someone comes along and looks at some data and says that's not true but forever we've worked off of that particular fact that somebody somewhere along made it up and different market medias or news medias pick it up and it's like all of a sudden that becomes the law so it's kind of interesting how stories get created and something like this mm -hmm. right i mean who knows like how many stories have been made up over the centuries right yes crazy stuff Social enterprise. So you've got a couple nonprofits. We'll talk about those. What is a social enterprise? So we do business thinking about triple bottom line. We're thinking about people, planet, and then profit too. So we are always giving back. And in the process of doing business, we're not forgetting all the people and processes that go into our services or our product. For moon pads, it's our product. We make sure that along the way, we're producing this with a lot of care and compassion and concern for the planet and all the hands that have to go to work on it to get that product into the hands of people who need it. So there's an origin story to this. There sure is. <laughs> yeah, or maybe we weren't <laughs> so good about the planet, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> Do share. Because I think, you know, again, every business has various stories and how it came to be. So I, I love this. Yeah. So I like to say that moon pads came from a big mistake. I have a nonprofit that has worked in Tibet for a couple of decades now, and we do work with a lot of Tibetan nomadic women. And so... For a couple of years, we sent American midwives to Tibet to work on this issue of the very high maternal infant mortality rate. So we're going village to village, visiting with nomads and asking them what was going on with their bodies. And one day a translator was sick. And so I had to fill in for one of the American midwives. And you actually speak the language, correct? I do. Oh. It's in decline right now, having not been back in many years. But yes, I lived in Tibet for years and worked there. So I do speak the language. So I was filling in for a translator. And after a day of seeing 30-something patients, I turned to the midwife and I asked, is this really what people are telling you about? Are these the issues? And she said, yeah, about 95% of the women that we're seeing have preventable infections. And those could be prevented by simply having 
pads, menstrual product. And so I turned to the Tibetans on the team and I said, we got to solve this problem. And I looked for a way because I'm a nonprofit to do that in a very thrifty, affordable way. So I was going for cheap, fast, and easy as a... It's a mantra. Right? (laughs) Trying to find that kind of solution. And so we started distributing. We probably distributed over a million pads at that point. And after a month, we were out there fast trying Crank to it. deal with this. Yeah. And after about a month, I recognized that I had gone ahead and broken one of my biggest rules for my nonprofit, which was to never buy and distribute single-use plastic because all those pads are made out of plastic. Mm. One box of pads is equivalent to, I mean, it depends what type of pads, but can be equivalent to three to five plastic bags. Really? Wow. So it's a lot of plastic going out there. So that's why we started looking around how we can produce our own or have a manufacturer produce compostable pads that are chemical free. So did you develop the product yourself or was there something already in the marketplace that you could say, all right, we just need to be able to buy from them or manufacture their product or what did that look like? Well, at first, we thought we'd create our own factory. How hard could it be, right? Exactly. (laughs) People are doing it in India. There's a wonderful movie, Padman. We contacted those folks that made that movie, and they had been producing their own organic pads in India. So we found a machine maker, and they shipped us a machine to China, and they included all of the materials that we would need for about a year of manufacturing. Full turnkey. Totally. So plug it in and away yeah. you go. <laughs> plug and play. It gets to Shanghai and we get notification. These custom forms are not adequate. Oh, you of, couldn't get into the country? Could not get it in. So somewhere in Shanghai customs, there is still a pad machine <laughs> and a right. lot of materials. <laughs> so we had to pivot there. That was second mistake. So I'm just racking up the mistakes here. And then we had to go and try a lot of different manufacturers, finding a business in China that produces ethical products. And so we finally found one. We're really happy with the manufacturer we're working with. They have great conditions for their workers and produce really very high quality product for us. And at first they produced a biodegradable pad. And we said, you know, that's not enough for us. We're going to have to change this material, change the shape, do this and that. So they've worked with us to create a home compost safe pad and tampons now. Wow. Nice. Nice. So share a little bit about that because, again, back to these ideas that we just get sort of large stories and we go, okay, that's life. And so I think many people here think, okay, you think China or you think cheap labor, not following any real rules of the road here, don't care about the environment, all this kind of good stuff. But you were able to go out and find a manufacturer that was checking all those boxes. So maybe you've got experience in that space. So maybe share a little bit about that. Is that just some rare thing that happens? Or it's like, no, this story is not correct. This is really what it looks like. So I think there's a lot of misunderstanding about labor practices and laws. There's definitely slave labor, but that exists in every country across the world. That exists here in America. There's an incredible article that came out this week about prison labor Mm. being used even in Whole Foods supply chains. So this is something that I think we can be self-reflective about as Americans, not always just point the finger. But in any case, I think it is up to businesses to look at our supply chain and our manufacturers and put them under the microscope and really see if they hold up to 
our ethical standards. And for us, that meant a handful of factory visits and making sure that workers are working in safe conditions and healthy mm-hmm. conditions and that they're being cared for. So our manufacturer, like I said, has proven to us time and time again that they really care. Um, we're happy that they're working with us and making our products. So are they still the manufacturer of your product? They for sure are. So when did that start versus when did you bring this mm-hmm. to the U.S.? Or when did Moonpads, like what's kind of the story there? Because it sounds like you were solving this from a bit of the nonprofit view and then decided, okay, wait a minute, there's another model here. So maybe walk us through that. Right. So uh, let's see. We started distributing the plastic pads in 2018, started manufacturing with this company in 2019, and then the pandemic hit. Right. right. We'll and that too. so <laughs> that is when I turned from the nonprofit model, which was receiving grants to support this mission and thinking, hmm. I'm back here in America and I'm searching the shelves for a product like we've produced for the nomads and I can't find one to buy. So there are very, very few options for those of us who want to have eco-friendly periods. There are some awesome zero waste options, but not many people are really comfortable using the cup or reusable pads. They still want a single use option. So I said, huh, we could sell this plastic free. an opportunity. Yes, there's some white space on the market. So that was obviously the pandemic 2020, 2021. I finally got the product on the market through Amazon February 1st, 2022. Congratulations. Thank you. So where's it all being distributed today? So Amazon. We have it on our Shopify site. And then we have it in a handful of co-ops and local stores. What's the grand plan? Where are you going with this, Meg? To the moon. <laughs> <laughs> the Titan of Pads. <laughs> I love that. Go to the moon. All right. So we, In 30 days. All right. <laughs> yes. We are really looking for retail stores to carry our brand because we recognize that the majority of men's readers are still buying their pads off the shelves. So we want to- Part of grocery shopping, right? Exactly. We want to be on those shelves. So definitely looking for distributors. Awesome. And you're aligned, I understand, with Naturally San Diego. You're involved yes. with those guys, yes, right? Yes, we Part are a member that, of Naturally. Yeah, which that's, that's kind of what their mantra is, helping small businesses make moves in that space. So awesome. So talk a little bit about the B Corp piece. B Corp's part of this podcast as well. And you've just recently got certified, correct? This was the biggest gift of the new year. <laughs> <laughs> it was a year coming. I put a lot of work into filing with B Labs and really proving our business to them. It took my whole team <laughs> filing a lot of paperwork. How, uh, how big is your team? So depends how we count them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're the all, manufacturing team, right? Right. We're a bunch of volunteers technically at this point because we are bootstrapping. Mm-hmm. But we have some working for the nonprofit side still doing the education and distribution in Tibet. So we have three team members that are paid under the nonprofit doing that work over there. And then we have three people over here. Awesome. Yeah. Love it. Your San Diego company. Yeah. Yes. So what's the big thought you would say to somebody that was doing what you're doing, right? Trying to make this move and make the planet better, the triple bottom line and all that. Mm -hmm. What's your advice? I think patience 
is really important. Is that the fourth P? <laughs> yes. <laughs> People, <laughs> planet, profit, and patience. Yeah, the one they don't mention. Right. I mean, I think there are many ways of doing business and making profit is hard enough. And that takes some patience. But like I said, my very first mistake, even within the nonprofit, was really trying to solve a problem quick, easy, cheaply. And that's not really how big problems get solved sustainably. And so I think in doing business, we also need to slow it down a little bit and think through what we're doing, the energy we're putting out there into the world with our products or services and make sure we're aligned with every piece along the way. So do you think being part of the B Corp program these days now, it's like, does that help create that filter for you that you have to ask certain questions when you're solving a problem? Because sometimes that's right. Here's the problem. Here's the solution. But what about this? What about this? What about this? Would you say that that's a big help in that is following that philosophy? For sure. I think B Labs does a great job at holding companies accountable. Even when I say I try and be very mindful about my business and have a conscious company, I still have blind spots. And so doing that application and having to continually prove to them that we're on the right track is very helpful for the company. And I think that part about this too is like, it's not a one and done. It's not like, oh, I got certified and put the the sticker on the wall. I'm all good to go. It's (laughs) it's an ongoing process with recertifications over time. How'd you get here? What led to this? (laughs) Oh boy. Where to begin? Who are you blaming? <laughs> Mom, dad? I mean, those are the likely candidates. I like to point the finger at the Her Beastie Boys. Her dad is Lou Ferrigno, by the way. <laughs> I just thought people should know that. The Lou Ferrigno. Not the one you may know, but the Lou Ferrigno. <laughs> it's right. That's a little nugget of truth today. <laughs> we had a great story she was sharing how somehow, magically, her dad's luggage and Lou Ferrigno, the bodybuilder guy, actor, somehow the luggage got mixed up and she ended up with uh, boxing gloves and tennis shoes or something. Right? And he ended up with some Himalayan salt and yak cheese. Yeah. Pretty good trade, I think. I think it was fair. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> All right. So how'd you get here, Meg? Well, I was working and living with Tibetans for uh, about 20 years. Right, wait a minute. So how'd you get to Tibet? <laughs> right? I mean, <laughs> you don't just wake up oh, in Tibet one morning. So oh, I don't know where to go how far back to go with this, I became very interested in Tibetan culture in high school and Tibetan philosophy and moved to Tibet as soon as I could, which was after a study abroad program that was offered by School for International Training while I was in New Hampshire College. I went out there and I asked my professor to leave me there. I just fell in love with the so land. I was a college student, that's what... As a you, college you wanted student. to get there and, and through then, that you got there. Okay. I did. And I always encourage college students, always encourage everyone to travel. But in college, use that financial aid and go somewhere. See Learn. the world. See, see something. Yeah. Exactly. Open up your eyes to there's a whole big world out here. Yes. And to me, Tibet appealed to so many different sides of me. I was just intrigued by the nomadic culture that is so closely tied to the earth. I grew up in a family that grew a lot of our own food and really respected nature, but nomads took it to a whole nother level and their traditional ecological knowledge blew me away. And so I finished up my undergrad degree and went right back to Tibet and started volunteering there. 
And I lived in Tibet for a few years. I lived in Nepal for a couple of years, India a couple of years, trying to study the language, the philosophy, and then finally supporting a few very small nomadic villages through my nonprofit. So tell us about the nonprofit. So it's called the Pure Land Project. And we try and support Tibetans to maintain their culture. and So don't lose it. Right. So we were started because my spiritual teacher, Garchan Rinpoche, is from this very remote nomadic area in eastern Tibet. And I just plopped down there under his request and I started supporting his schools that he had built. And there was a clinic that popped up and another clinic and another clinic. We were digging wells, building greenhouses, things that the nomads didn't have access to. And so we started supporting those programs. And along the way, I recognized that nomads didn't have really a concept of non-compostable waste because for their entire history, they've been using leather or different plants to wrap up their product, right? Their cheese and their butter is wrapped in leather, their intestine, their Yogurt is kept in wooden boxes. Everything is made from nature. And so when I arrived, plastic had just gotten to their communities within the past decade. And they didn't really understand why the plastic wasn't going anywhere Mm. when they threw it out. And so that's a big reason why we named it the Pure Land Project, because we are an environmental organization as well and do education around what plastic actually is and how to maintain those really great eco-friendly traditions that a lot of cultures and indigenous people have had and hopefully the rest of us can actually pick up. So now I can see why all of a sudden you realized you were the one introducing all this plastic. <laughs> I was I like, know. oh my goodness. <laughs> totally. <laughs> the Wait opposite. I'm the, I'm that guy now, yeah. right? <laughs> Huge mistake. You go around apologizing to everybody? Yes. (laughs) My bad. (laughs) Total hypocrite. (laughs) Wow. It was bad. So you're saying you're describing something, and I'm like, wow, that's cool, right? And you're like the spiritual leader and doing all these good. And now here we are, right? San Diego, capitalism, (laughs) all the good stuff that comes with living in America. So like, (laughs) how are you walking that line? How do you keep yourself grounded or whatever? What's the secret, man? Because I've been seeking this for (laughs) 67 years. Oh, boy. Well, I think that spiritual connection that I made with Tibetan philosophy, Tibetan Buddhism has really helped because it teaches a concept of impermanence. Everything is constantly changing. And so whenever something upsets me, like coming back to America was like the culture shock. Mm. How long were you gone? I had been away for about over seven years and uh, I came back in 2008 to Philadelphia, West Philly. (laughs) One of the biggest shocks to me was to see how yoga and meditation had been appropriated and commodified. Oh, here, yes, yes. And so I had been volunteering for seven years. I had zero dollars to my name and I was trying to belong to a spiritual community and I couldn't afford to. Right. And yet I had these enlightened teachers who I really do believe like are a certain level of enlightenment that had been teaching me for years 
free of cost. So well, it's kind of the way it really works. Right. <laughs> if you're enlightened, <laughs> right? Right. Yeah. So I think that's a big mistake that's been happening in America is that spirituality has become commodified in a way. And there are practices from all over the world, including indigenous people here, that are so sacred and special. But there are these major obstacles and barriers to being able to study them. And so I really encourage people to dig around and see what they can find in terms of spiritual practice because capitalism can be rough. (laughs) It's harsh out here. (laughs) It really is. But that grounding in... Doggy dog. Yeah. Grounding in spirituality and understanding that nothing is going to be forever helps me just take things lightly. Right. How do you move through this, right? Mm. With some joy, peace, and happiness as you're doing it, regardless of what's happening Right. Out there. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Nice. So you came back here and created another nonprofit, right? <laughs> so that one. That's tough with you. <laughs> I know. You're definitely so, a creator. So in Philadelphia, I actually registered the space as a church because like I said, I couldn't find any free yoga or meditation classes. And I was sharing those practices with people that I was working with and they were enjoying them. And so we started just having a Skillshare out of my house and we shared dozens of meditation, yoga, music, art classes every week and then opened up a community garden for people to have green space and have. So this is in West Philly. This is in West so Philly. You're, yeah. Okay. And yes. West Philly is pretty tough neighborhood. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I was going to the University of Pennsylvania and working for them and I was working in their community schools. So West Philadelphia public schools and recognizing that, and this is back in 2008 when breath work wasn't really a thing. I'm just learning how to breathe. Right. It's kind of crazy. <laughs> Didn't realize how important that was. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So the schools I was in, they were pretty rough. We had police officers, metal detectors in there and The teachers had 33 students to a classroom, very overwhelming. And the students didn't have the attention or support they needed. And so I was put in there as kind of a support staff and running after school and summer programs. And I recognized that throughout the day, students really needed like space to time out Mm. and tune in. So I started doing breath work with students. And I don't really love the word breath work. We just started having mindful breathing time. They're upset. They wanted to stab another student. Take a breath. Let's take a breath. (laughs) Maybe two. Yeah. (laughs) Let's put the knife down. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So, yeah, so I started, I was living a couple blocks away and I was like, you know what? Let's start this up. Let's do this. You know, welcome to come over and we can do breathing. We can have asana practice, whatever. So that's how Ahimsa House started. Well, this is amazing. Amazing stuff. Yeah. So when you look back... And you got this amazing story. I mean, what would you say, like, maybe the one or two biggest defining moments where you just really, that was pivots. You know, maybe like you showed up in Tibet, right? I had this desire. I got there. It's like, just, yeah, I don't know what the answer is. You got the answer. Like, yeah. Just maybe, you got a fascinating story, Meg. We want <laughs> to know. You. We all want to know. Thank you. Thank you. This is a hard question, though. I think for me, two huge pivot points, and I'm not trying to get real sad. 
<laughs> Sometimes good things come out of the sad things. Yes. When I was 16, my mother passed away. Oh, and that was obviously in most people's lives and their mother's path. It's a turning point. But I was 16 when it happened and she was able to die with grace and fortitude. And I think that opportunity to watch and participate in my mother's passing helped me recognize the power of every breath that we take. And so I really made some promises to myself at that point and I've stuck with them. I just want to live each day to the fullest. And when she passed and we had the funeral, the church was packed and she just made such an incredible impact just as one person. And so I said, with this lifetime, I want to try and have a positive impact rather than a negative one. And honestly, that's kind of hard to do because as humans on this planet, the way we consume the energy that we take just to live our lives here in San Diego, we actually do a lot of harm without recognizing it. Right, right. And so I really try and be very, very conscious of that and try and recognize what I'm taking and make very mindful offerings as well. I love that. So that was a huge turning point for me. But I can see how foundational that is, right? That I mean, you kind of made that pivot and said, wow, I've seen that. Mm -hmm. I can do this, right? Yep. I can make this claim and look to walk life out that way. Yeah. Um, and I think another huge pivot has really been recent. This pivot from nonprofit to for-profit, I think this has been really hard for me. And it goes back to that promise I made to myself, right? Am I going to have a positive or negative impact on this world? And I've had to compromise a lot. And one big piece of Tibetan Buddhism is this middle way concept. You can't be part of an extreme and actually live life, right? So choosing a middle way approach here, I recognize that I can't be totally zero waste living in America just personally. But then as a brand, I would love if moon pads was just all reusable pads or cups, I don't like single-use products personally, right? They're trashing out the world. But the fact is that the majority of consumers still need something that is comfortable and easy. And so I needed to find a middle way to make that possible. And that means making compostable products, plastic-free products. And so for me, this turning point has been turning away from that extreme of, well, I'm going to try and be zero waste. I'm going to try and do this from the ultimate good, but rather recognizing where people are at with their sustainability journey, with their consumerism journey. We have a lot of education to do just to go plastic free, right? It's a leap to go to zero waste. So my big lesson more recently in creating this company has said, okay, I'm Turning away from the extremes, <laughs> I can't be zero, zero waste right now. But I admire those companies that are and the people that are doing it, living that life, the Tibetan nomads. <laughs> but for right now, what we need are these kind of middle way sustainable companies that are meeting people where they're at. I love that. I actually heard that explained kind of in a spiritual way once, like back to enlightenment. If you're kind of up the ladder here... 
someone down the ladder is not really going to understand this whole thing you're trying to say, right? Maybe the person right below right, <laughs> will get some of this. That's just sort of the, the pecking order of how things work. And so kind of putting this back into a product idea is like, yeah, you got to meet people where they're at. Otherwise, there's just, you won't be successful. I mean, but what can you bring to the party that moves it forward a little bit? Right. I love that philosophy. Yeah. I came to San Diego and wrote my book, Jailbreak Leadership, and it was about purpose. And then I thought, oh, companies are talking about purpose. Oh, this is exciting. And I get out and I want every company should be leading by purpose. And not so much from the social give back, but more like, how, yeah, I want employees to show up at work and be excited about where they're at, right? That's, mm-hmm. that's the P that I And there's all this proof, of like how it makes your business better. I was like, you can't get people to do it, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> the, the ones who are doing it are doing it. And the ones who are doing this is my immediate problem. Mm-hmm. So you got to find that happy ground, right? Of like, okay, what can you do exactly. that honors that? But we kind of go to the whole philosophy. Yeah, this, yeah very few people <laughs> are interested in that. So exactly. yeah, I love that. Let's talk to the future a little bit. We've a little bit in the past here, mm-hmm. where you've been, how you got here. What are you seeing in the world? So uh, you've shared this great story about who you are and you just have a different view of the world than most people I get to meet. What do you see? Where are we going? Make me feel good, Meg, too. Oh, <laughs> Don't boy. scare me. Oh, well. <laughs> in this uh, election oh. year. What the, where are we going, Meg? Tell I me, told tell me you I was overeducated, so <laughs> tell it's, me it's not be okay. looking that good. <laughs> Doing a doctorate in sustainability was very depressing. <laughs> I'll just tell you that. Unfortunately, scientists say we're past the tipping point, right? That's depressing. And I have great faith in humans and our ability to innovate and solve problems. I do think that we're capable of fixing our mess. And I think because we are living in a capitalist society and kind of spreading this philosophy of capitalism around the world, we are responsible for doing that responsibly. So I love what you do with conscious capitalism. I think it's incredibly important to look to businesses to say, hey, you're kind of leading the way and we got to do this right. So I think in the future where we're going, it's really about responsibility, each and every one of us taking responsibility for our actions because we have impact. Right. The customer speaks. Customer speaks. Yeah. We have an opportunity every time we buy something, right? Exactly. We vote with our dollars. I mean, I always like, I didn't say people get so upset, you know, like, uh, oh, they've offshored these jobs. They don't know these. It's like, well, yeah, because you wanted cheap stuff. Exactly. <laughs> right. right? Well, there's a price to be paid, right? We mm-hmm. didn't maybe recognize it up front. Well, there you go. Here's the price. And unfortunately, just a kind of an opposite view on that. Having lived in China, I lived in Chinese city for a year and they're paying the price for that. They're paying the price for American consumption. Because our cheap companies that are going there for cheap labor are also not paying attention to any environmental standards. And so I couldn't go out without a mask on. Right. Remember the Olympics? Oh, we got to so, shut everything down for a week so we can actually put the Olympics on, right? Right. Yeah. It's so incredibly polluted, the air there. And the majority of the population is at risk for respiratory diseases. And that's... Very sad to me. Then we share a crazy diet with them. Yeah, yeah. It's a mess. But we can fix it. We can fix it. I think we can fix it. We just need to do something soon. There's the message. We're going to fix this thing. Well, we have to put a bow on this. This has been awesome. What's your one big idea? 
We talked for 40 minutes. If no one remembered anything, what's the one thing they should remember, Meg? Well. Besides we can fix it and you're responsible. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to take this back to where we all come from. One missed period. Period poverty is a huge problem for so many menstruators around the world. And again, this is a problem we can fix and we can solve this within our lifetime. Love that. Good stuff. Well, I want to thank you for taking the time to come in. I want to thank you for the amazing work you're doing and spreading the philosophy, right? Find the middle, some spirituality, a little peace, find a little joy. Yes, I love it. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate being here. Well, that's our show for today. And if you enjoyed it, please subscribe, comment, and most importantly, share the podcast with a friend. Again, special thanks to our collaborative community of San Diego business organizations, the Better Business Bureau, Conscious Capitalism, Be Local, Cause San Diego, and Business for Good. We're all businesses looking to positively impact our very own community of San Diego. I'm Jeff Blanton from Jailbreak Leadership saying, until next time, go do what you do. Go do what you do best. We're all counting on you.